Good evening mm-hmm. to those of you who identify as it being evening out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, dang it. You know what I was going to do? What? I totally forgot. I was going to look at some of the comments from last time. Yeah. Because we recorded this super deep episode on some topic. I don't even know what. Psychedelics. Oh, was that what it was? Yeah, the last one we did, I think. And then that that was the episode that we talked about, like me not. Um, no, it was the episode before that because then people talked about it. Whatever episode it yeah. was, the episode where we talked about me not affirming you, mm-hmm. and people went nuts in the comment section. When I say nuts, I mean like in a good way. Like a lot of people commented on that topic. Yeah. But they don't comment on the things that were actually like the oh. topic. And I we said that such in passing at the very beginning too. <laughs> I know. I thought it was um, a And I like had a hunch that some there was like maybe one or two people that me saying that would be like helpful too as in like I promise that Ben's not a dick. It's just that like sometimes he can come across that way, blah blah blah, you know. It was kind of my intention. And I also just wanted people to like not write us off because of that type of communication. But then there was like quite a few people that were like, oh, that's helpful because I was thinking blah, blah, blah about Ben. <laughs> yeah. I was well, like, I th- oh. I feel like, okay, so this is my thing with that. One is it was very helpful to hear how people like interpret my words because mm-hmm. I care about communication and um, it's and for those of you that don't know what we're talking about yeah maybe we should summarize this it's like not the, just words it's all actually like even the lack of words sometimes in the placement yeah. of words or lack thereof yeah okay so <laughs> shit I did not want to get into this one. now we're into it <laughs> now we're into it okay because what you guys want to hear great <clears throat> to summarize uh, we talked about how Cammy <clears throat> was saying that from while podcasting, especially, she thinks it would be better if after she makes a point, if I say like something affirmative versus nothing at all. If I say, "Oh, great point, Cammy," or even like, "Yeah, even that," yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. even that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> something that's like you're not just doing this podcast alone, right? <laughs> Something to, I mean, I think that comes naturally to me to, to, for me to do that. But, um, it comes as we're finding out, or I already knew this about you, but it comes, becomes less natural for you to do that. But yeah. when I hear podcasts, when I'm listening to other people's podcasts, like, I don't know if I've ever heard of someone just being like, crickets 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 like after their podcast partner says something <laughs> it's like someone says something <laughs> yeah. even if they like disagree with it <laughs> yeah. or maybe yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay <clears throat> yeah and so we did this bit and um and the comment section went nuts about people saying basically like i totally agree which is really interesting to me for a number of reasons. One is, as a communicator, okay, it's great to get feedback from your audience about how I'm being interpreted. 
Mm-hmm. Or what I was going to say was, and then, okay, get this. So then I followed John Gottman Institute. Mm-hmm. Do you know who these guys are? Um, I don't really know who they are. I just know they have all these like inspirational quotes that like I, I see. Okay. Well, about then, like marriage yes. or, or not just marriage, relationships. So John Gottman, like the John Gottman Institute. John Gottman is like the man when it comes to relationship, specifically like marital psychology um, Are th- of is, our day and age. Is he the one that did the like tests yes. on the, put these like little like things on pads on people? Yes. Depending on like their heart rate or yeah. their... They, this is um, Malcolm Gladwell references them, and I think that I think it's blank. Um, and a, a book about the power of the subconscious. Uh, cause these guys were um, they're like psychologists from the UW, I believe, or something. And um, basically, they got it to where, like, within fifteen seconds of analyzing a couple dialoguing. They could know with like ninety five percent certainty if they'd be married in ten years, like, and they were like almost always right, like nineteen out of twenty times. I'm like slaughtering this exact statistics, but, and then they got to it where like within if they could like look at a couple, and they had these sensors like heart rate monitor, like sensors filming their eyes, um, sensors under their ass determining like how they move their body when they talked, um, pulse, and, and they could tell within like five seconds if a couple would be married in 10 years, like 90, 80% of the time or something crazy Whoa! because they just like got used to looking at these patterns. Yeah. And okay. So anyways, that's who the Gottmans are. And I was following their account. And this week it said like, what did it say? It was like some bird principle, but basically they said one of the most common indicators of whether a relationship is going to last is, um, like if a, someone says, oh, that's a beautiful bird. If the other person affirms the statement, <laughs> even if they don't agree. Well, we've beaten the odds, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Well, you do affirm like a lot, but maybe there's a lot you don't. Or maybe I just, I don't know if it's just like in the, in the podcast setting it's not just in a podcast setting, because I. But here's the thing. I have so <laughs> much funny. confidence in how much I believe in you, mm-hmm. and and respect you. Yeah. And that you yeah. already know that. Yeah. That a lot of times I prefer to spend my energy in other places. Yeah. And but I it, yeah. If I ever had a doubt in my mind, or if you ever expressed like any question about that, mm-hmm. I would go above and beyond to express that. Yeah. Now, what's weird about this is this is a conversation being filmed on camera, right? And people aren't familiar with our dynamics, right? And I'm a little bit weird. My, like one of my best friends is like, "Are you on the spectrum?" And I'm like, <laughs> first of all, fuck <laughs> off." Two, maybe I don't know. <laughs> is that a yes? If that's a good thing, no. What does that if even not? mean anymore? <laughs> I don't I'm know. sure someone can tell me, but <clears throat> I don't know. But I'm different. Uh, great, yeah. I know that. Don't care. You're a special snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, okay, so but this is where just for the principle, I want to present what why this is a little bit frustrating to me is people show care in so many different ways. Yes, that is and true. 
and just because they don't show care in the common ways, you know, mm-hmm. like using, and what is common anyways? Like what else is weird about my personality? I think if I was in Israel, like mm-hmm. when I'm in Israel, I feel totally at home. Mm-hmm. These fuckers there, they're rude. Like they don't do small talk. <laughs> they're rude according to, to, to us. us. Yeah. They're direct. Like they'll talk about their bank account numbers yeah. and give you their net worth and they won't even say hi or please or thank you. Yeah. And where and it's They'll like bump into you, like literally bump into you and I'm not like, say sorry. These are my people. <laughs> like uh, there's not But they care about people. The type of niceties over there that we expect everyone to have. And if you don't have the niceties of saying please and thank you or whatever it is, holding the door open, blah blah blah, then you are considered rude or not aware or whatever. And what I struggle with, at least what I, I don't know, what I feel the duty to say before I just comply, even though I'm probably not <laughs> complying, is... You should wear your hat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to get to these hats in a little bit. Thanks yeah. for reminding me, Cameron. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, is that I'm going to do this, like, you know, try and be more aware of how this is interpreted and affirm Cammy more. But it takes energy for me to do that. Mm. More energy yeah. than most people, I think. Yeah. And that energy comes out of other places. Mm-hmm. It comes out of other ways that I show care to people. Yeah. So oftentimes when people, most people were really good in the comments, I think. And we're just being yeah. kind and fun. Yeah. There was a few people where I felt like the attitude was, yeah, you jerk. You're, yeah, like, you're, you're more of a dick because you don't show love the way that I think love should be shown. And I have a problem with that across the board. Yeah. That, to me, that makes them more of a judgmental asshole, even though they're doing it in a quote-unquote polite way mm-hmm. of, like, we don't know how other people show love. Right. Like, across the globe, across the different personality spectrum. And what's most important to me is that you know I love you. Mm-hmm. And besides that, I don't want it to be distracting to people, so that's why I appreciate, like, the conversation around it. Either our ratings go way up because people are like, this is weird, or they go way down because they're like, he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. So I guess my only caution to the world, if you're listening, if you have any respect for what we're saying, <clears throat> is that when you hear someone, you know, feel free to share how it comes across to you, but be careful when you mm-hmm. assume that they're a less caring person than you are. Mm-hmm. Just because they don't show care in the same way that you do, yeah. I, I'm not yeah. asking for people to think I'm a fucking saint either. Like I don't need that. Mm-hmm. I I've just I've seen enough personalities. You know I don't yeah. know if you guys are into Enneagram at all. If you've heard of Enneagram, it's a uh, like a personality test that our family has enjoyed for five to ten years. Anyways, <clears throat> I'm a personality type eight uh, for Enneagram. Mm-hmm. which is like called the challenger. Um, and uh, like I was listening to a episode for female eights, uh, this podcast, this other podcast, I have no idea what it was called. And the person said the problem with eights is that they cannot live by the golden rule. Mm-hmm. They were talking about females specifically mm-hmm. because eights me, I want it direct. Mm-hmm. I would so much rather someone say, I don't like you, mm-hmm. than, than be like, how's it going? How you been doing? Mm-hmm. And like be fake to me. But 
I can't do? do that to other people. So the golden rule is or do it to others. If you do that to other people, then people will just assume you're being a jerk. An ass. Yeah. And, and if I, you're a female, because like in our culture, females are, if you, you know, look like a female or more, whatever. More docile. Well, people expect them to be nice. Yeah. And nice equals not blunt, yeah. not direct. Yeah. Like. So they have it probably double hard. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but either way, the point was the golden rule applies to almost everyone, but it doesn't apply to me because I can't treat people how I want to be treated. I want yeah. people to, I, I could say to someone, I don't like you. And to me, that's the kindest thing to do if I don't. Yeah. It's like being nice. <laughs> yeah. But they're like, what a, what a asshole. Yeah. And I'm like, what Keep do you mean? Keep that to yourself, I want, that's asshole. How I want, that's what I want you to say to me if you don't like me, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fuck. Yeah, we're, we're 12 minutes in. Yeah. Um, but we're rolling with it. Um, little update, too. Mm-hmm. We missed the last two, three weeks. Two. Yeah. Has it been missed the last two? Who knows? Because our publishing two Tuesdays. But, oh, okay. But we had COVID. <clears throat> we think. We never took a test. Which I know people are going to say, why aren't you taking a test? Well, you can save your breath because we didn't. And now it would say negative anyway. So. Um, sorry, I just had a little vent. <laughs> I'm just so sick hey, of people saying awesome. take a fucking test. I'm like, you go take Who a fucking test. Who told you to test. take a test? Well, I just read a bunch of comments on Eden's last vlog about us oh. having COVID, and, and people were like, you should take a test. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, I, that wouldn't go over very well with me either. Okay, so. yeah. Like, you take a test when you have like serious body aches, can't get off the couch, you want something stuck up your fucking nose. No thanks. I'll just assume I have COVID. Well, Plus, uh, we were quarantining, and what difference does it make? Yeah. Well, yeah. I have I have never experienced loss of taste and smell in that way before. It was a different thing. And for those of you who've experienced it, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's different than just having a cold and not being able to taste very well. It kicked our ass. Yeah, it really did. We like were. <laughs> I don't know. I'm laughing because it was it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. It was sad. We watched movies. Uh, we didn't taste. We thought did, we might that... never taste again. <laughs> right. Which which not tasting means like no coffee. Which no coffee means no reason to wake up. It was like yeah. depressing. You if... realize like how important your seemingly little routines are for your life like you there's nothing to ground you anymore when you don't have your normal routines i just felt like i was drifting in a vast sea and i didn't know if i'd ever find a lifeboat or an island or <laughs> but we fucking survived that shit and here we are but yeah i feel like 99 percent better maybe 100 i don't know have a tiny bit of congestion but hardly anything I can taste you can almost fully taste you're still kind of getting it back i'm at 60 percent. yeah but um it's great yeah okay and we're back and we're back on the podcast yep and today's episode is uh our uh response reaction to a podcast series called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I believe it's a 10-plus part series that was published by Christianity Today. I don't think I listened to all 10, did you? 
Yes, I listened to every single episode. Yeah, I listened you to... You listened to, like, two. Ah, uh, I think I listened to, like, four, but, yeah, okay. I think you listened to two. Whatever. We'll disagree to disagree. But I definitely didn't listen to eight. You agree to disagree. <laughs> okay, I agree. <laughs> or let's agree <laughs> to disagree, shall we? Okay. It doesn't really matter. I feel like I got... The reason why I think it... I said it doesn't really matter. That I want to stay at another point. <laughs> the reason why <laughs> I think I listened to more than two is because I feel like I... I like know quite a bit of the story. I've... I'm not in any way implying that you should have listened to more. Yeah, I no, just, I know. I know when our conversation stopped about it. You to know I'm right. <laughs> I and you also insist on the fact that you wrote me like six letters in high school. Yeah, let's not bring that one up. I know. Like it was like no more than definitely three. Definitely going to need to agree to disagree on that one, but. I definitely do. Podcast one, you actually might that. be right, but I also don't know if you are. Okay. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, the conversation will still be the same, I think, because yeah. you know how the story ends. And um, and you also, I think, shared a lot with me about what the podcasts you were listening to. So so for those that are not familiar, the once again, the podcast is called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, and Mars Hill was a church that was based in the Seattle area for close to 15 years yeah and we lived in seattle and in fact we went to mars hill uh for what a year or two yeah i i feel like we never got like heavily involved or anything but we got involved a tiny bit it was like our first year of marriage but a lot of our friends yeah and family went there yeah like my sister went there like when it was like in a house still so that was like year one and our best friends and business partners were like very active oh right and we went on retreats and so it impacted a lot of our community and a lot of our life in a very first person way yeah and the podcast goes through the story like for those that aren't familiar with the story it was like this small church um built by this guy named mark driscoll and then it like exploded to a point where there was like i don't know for sure but let's just say 15 to 20 campuses at its peak and expanding rapidly and he was like he was the shit like in the christian world like he he had the most podcast downloads he had some of the highest book sales Mm -hmm. sermon downloads church growth statistics like he was like cutting edge for like a number of years and then for that world but he was also like an asshole among other things highly manipulative highly bullying and the podcast gets into that and then like the entire thing it goes from being like one of the largest churches in the world technically even though it's like all these different campuses and states to like virtually not existing overnight Mm -hmm. so that's the that's the podcast yeah 
Um, I want to start off by saying what I consider the the things the podcast does well. But spoiler alert: the majority of this episode is going to be things my beef with the podcast. Mm-hmm. The podcast was very well produced. Like it was easy to listen to. It was fun. It was entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you find yourself drawn to, well, if you're familiar with the cast of characters at all, if you're in evangelicalism, if you're familiar with the church, Marcel specifically, or in the Seattle area, I found myself listening to a lot of friends. Um, I heard their voices, people that I knew, p- people whose names I was familiar with. And it was just like, oh, whoa, this is like modern history. Like they did a good job interviewing people. They're just like interesting stories. and. Mm-hmm fun music and it's a great from a journalistic perspective it does present a pretty good timeline of how everything went down which once again like i said we were familiar with it so it was like kind of like looking at my high school yearbook Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it was really it was bizarre like hearing all this stuff when it was like oh yeah that happened i remember when that happened Oh, I, re- I know who that person is. I remember talking to that person about this specific thing <laughs> that happened. I feel like people that um, spoke, like were interviewed, I feel like probably 10 of those people were at our house for dinner at one point or another. I mean, there's hundreds in the podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, we, we like knew these people. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's three things that I wanted to talk about today that were kind of, well, I don't want to just, they aren't just critiques of the podcast because that's too easy for me. Like, I don't want to just shit on someone else's work. Mm, Yeah. But there was so many ways that the podcast, I was like, I was like, this thing, Mars Hill, hurt so many people and we've Mm -hmm. been so hurt by some of these dynamics Mm-hmm. And yet, in my opinion, the fucking podcast doesn't offer any solutions to what actually went wrong. I wonder if it's because it's they're too close. Like they're a Christian organization yes. putting on the podcast. Yes. Yeah, that's one of the huge reasons so they're not like. Able and it was to step so back. frustrating to me because I was like, "There's so many resources being poured into this. Mm-hmm. So many ears are listening." And yet, in my it's opinion... It's like you get so close, but it's like... Ah. Yeah, there's like no help yeah. to the people that have suffered mm. and the people that are still suffering. And I was like, mm-hmm. this isn't even on brand for us. Like, we're not talking about Christian shit, at least on this pot, on this Fight for Together channel. But I was like, I have to talk about it somewhere. I love talking with Cammy in this podcast. I think a lot of our listeners are like ex-Christian or evangelical, ex Evangelical, is that the yeah, or even I mean, I, I even or want to be helpful Christian for evangelicals still, or whatever. Yeah, I don't care if you're in or out, yeah, I, so totally. much as like if you find the topic interesting, yep. Okay, so my first beef kind of has to do with what you just said. It, mm-hmm. I, I want to read to you the intro that they play for every episode, <laughs> okay? Some of this shit like triggered me when I maybe that's why I only watched or listened to two episodes maybe three maybe four dude it was not four okay (laughs) intro go ahead um they're talking about mars hill okay Mm -hmm. it's the story of one church that goes from a handful of people to a movement 
and then collapsed overnight. It's a story about power, fame, and spiritual trauma, problems faced across the spectrum of churches across America. And yet, it's also a story about the mystery of God working in broken places. Mm, yeah. Okay, so some backstory here. First of all, Christianity Today, it's a, it's a Christian, it's the largest Christian publication that I know of. Mm-hmm. So their audience are Christians. Yeah. So this is what I think happened here. Mars Hill is an interesting story, but yet it's a story of Christian failure. Mm-hmm. So the, the Christian journalists have this problem where they can't ignore it because it's so damn interesting and they know they'll get the ratings and and it looks weak to not address it at all Mm -hmm. so they have to address it but they have to address it in a way that still makes christianity look good so they have to blame something or someone else not christianity i get yeah well or what what more what i'm getting at is in what it says in the intro Mm -hmm. is they have to redeem it and make it come out positive and still uphold this like Christian way of doing things. Yes. They still have to make God look good. Mm -hmm. Even if none of the evidence points there. And I'm not even saying God needs to be bad. I'm just just saying their idea of God. They need to say like, Oh, but all the shit can happen, but man, God, but the story still needs to be slanted. Yeah. Towards God, looking good, God working, Mm -hmm. people's lives still being changed for the positive, even if that's not the story. Yeah. I mean, and I'm fine with, once again, I'm fine with that happening. I'm not arguing that point per se, but when you approach a story like this, needing to make God look good. It kind of reminds me of like when a natural disaster happens and, and people are like, well, at least God was so good that he, they, he saved our house from the tornado. And then their neighbor's house got completely demolished. Mm. And they're like, and the neighbor's like, what? Like, yeah. what are you talking well, there, about? There's all these memes, God's too. God's not good. This is like a common meme on, like, uh, evangelical sites. Where the, and these are, like, true things people post. But it'll be, like, someone saying, like, a fire burned down my mother's house and killed everyone but her Bible was on her bedside oh, yeah. and wasn't burned. And then someone Shit. will be like, yeah, but your mom died. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, the, but that Bible though, man. <laughs> but the Christian's like trying to find a miracle somehow. Somewhere. And you, if you can't find it, you make shit up. Like, so my problem with this, once again, is I'm, I'm fine with, um, you know, to a certain degree, trying to approach the world through a sunny lens or finding what you can learn. But when you approach a story with this preconceived notion, or frankly just agenda, to mm-hmm. prove that the mystery of God is working in broken places, one, we don't know that. <laughs> like, even if you're a Christian and you believe that God is good, who are you to say, like, okay, like in real time, shit's going down, right? Like, let's talk about Bible stories. Um, okay, one guy kills another guy, and you're like, um, that's not God at work. But then you're like, oh, God, then this it's raining and flooding and killing everyone. And you're like, well, that's God at work. Like, you wouldn't have known this stuff if you were living it in real time. Like, what's God's will and what's not? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking even from a Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. So for this journalist to say, oh, 
Look, here's evidence that God's working. These people are happy. Never mind the fact that these hundreds of people, thousands of people, have trauma. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So to me, this actually ruins the integrity, not all of it, but it ruins the integrity of the story because they say in the first intro, and in from the very beginning, like, and it's just unfortunate to me because I, I actually think you can have a belief system. Like, you can believe God is good. But when I, like, incorporate it into my journalism, so then I'm, like, interviewing you, and you're like, oh, my kid just committed suicide. And I'm like, yeah, well, isn't it crazy that the, the mis- that God is working in broken places, and he probably is, you know, the reason why you he got— called him home. Why you got an ice cream cone today— <laughs> Is because God's still working. Ugh. Like that's that's what God's doing. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird, and it it doesn't allow for other people who have a different experience to just like have a different experience and have different feelings and have a different take on it and a different perspective. And I get that it's um, yeah, it is it is weird. Okay, I need to say, yeah. To what no, you're you already, well. Okay, but actually, what I'm saying is riffing on what you're saying because I really agree yeah. with what you said. I just want to make sure that's clear. It's oh, um, good. Damn it, now I forgot what I was going to say. See, it, it that, comes at I, cost. Honestly, you didn't need to do that. Like, I didn't feel a Well, no, but I, I was doing it for myself, actually. Oh, okay. Just because I, I was so tracked with what you're saying. Oh, um, cool. What did you just say? Um... There's no space for other people to have different perspectives. Even if, let's say that you're even a Christian and you believe God is good, but yeah. you're hurting. Where the fuck is your hurt supposed to go if someone's like, yeah, but God is so good? Yes. Okay, what I was going to say was I'm fine with opinions, but then it should be called op-ed. It should be, it should be like a, an editorial piece. But this blends like journalism and fact uh-huh. And it just kind of slips in these statements yeah. that are completely interpretive. Like I said, even if you're a Christian. And I think inappropriate, honestly. This isn't this like sto- a historically held yeah. thing that this is how God works and this is how you know God works. And that this guy who made the podcast named Mike Cosper has authority to say, oh, yeah, like God did that. Like these good things, but not those bad things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. So if he wants to make, like, an opinion piece and say, this is where, like, this is who I think God is. This is what I think he looks like. This is why I think these are signs of him working. I'm fine with that. Or if he wants to just do, but when you mix it like that, it's really unaware, I think. To pull back the curtain a little bit more, I think his hands are tied because I actually think if he didn't do that, not maybe he, like, wanted to do it i don't know but i think that this is an institution and they have rules unwritten rules a lot of times that if you don't spin a story a certain way that makes god or your version of god look a certain way you would like lose your job or like get called out on it at the very least oh i completely agree with that and that's that goes into like what why i had to educate people on what christianity today is if you're not familiar yeah the organization had to run the story 
the story is a shitty story for Christianity, but they had to spin it in a positive it's way. It's like the government. The government does that. <laughs> Just want to slip that in. I cannot affirm that because <laughs> I, I don't disagree, I guess. No idea where you're going with that. But. Well, I guess I'm just saying any large institutions with a lot of power and a lot of money and a lot of reason to want to stay in power will do that kind of stuff. It's where, going to protect itself. Yeah. Well, they'll say shit that's not even true or they'll say stuff that like only upholds one side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's my first problem is that it's not journalism. My second problem is that, and I just do not know why they did this, they oddly, in a way, they don't... Okay, fucking A. Going back to my first point. He makes these statements about how this whole fucking complex story that spans 20 states, hundreds of characters, decades of time, is the mystery of God working in broken places. Okay, this guy comes to this epic conclusion that he can confidently state so much that he puts it in the intro and it goes before every episode. Mm-hmm. Then they don't say shit about Driscoll from an editorial or commentary perspective. He doesn't. Mm. Now, he quotes people and he interviews people and people say their piece, but I think what would be really helpful is if they even attempted, <clears throat> and I th- but I think they were afraid, mm. honestly, to state afraid well, of Driscoll, yes, because he still he still has a lot in of power a position of power in this world, yeah. Um, to state what the heck, who is this guy, mm-hmm. and what do you think based upon all this evidence? If you're going to create commentary from a journalistic perspective, fuck, you could talk to all sorts of psychologists, uh, people that know him, and you can draw a conclusion. It doesn't need to be certain, but if but they can draw these other conclusions that are far more ambiguous. You know, they didn't, for how long these episodes are, it's like uh, 10 episodes, I believe, plus two bonus episodes. Some of the episodes are three hours long. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like almost 20 hours of um, material mm-hmm. to draw from, to be able to say, so like, what is it? Why did Driscoll do what he did? Mm-hmm. What is motivating a guy like that? Like, that's an interesting topic. And like I said, not that you need to be right or confident. And I, I really don't think normally this is a very helpful endeavor to do, to go around speculating about random people and gossiping or whatever mm-hmm. based on very little information. But there but was is, a lot of information. There's a lot of information. And a lot of, from a lot of different sources. A lot of different people. And that's the entire time point. Time periods. It's the, the entire series is dedicated to understanding this guy. Right. So why not draw a conclusion and fucking take a stand, put your neck out there and say, this is why I think he did what he did. Because, And the reason why this is important <clears throat> is I think he's a complex character. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's just a villain. Mm-hmm. And I think that the podcast did a good job at maybe just not painting him as that. He's certainly not a fucking hero. <laughs> Yeah, but at least anymore. But then again, for most of the and st- ah, he probably is still a hero to some people. He's, That's true. He pastors a fairly fairly large church. That is definitely true in Arizona. But um, for most of the span of when these interviews are being done, or at least sorry, uh, like 
the life of Mars Hill. He was a hero to so many people. Yeah. What is it about a guy like that that makes him a hero and then almost overnight makes him a national villain? Mm-hmm. That And they don't talk about that. Now, okay, so here's... Did they... Did- did they talk about how he's still a pastor at all? Because that is interesting to me. It's very like, little. Oh, he just hopped down to another church and starting all over again. The, and here we go. The last episode, it's very fascinating. They they didn't critique Christianity, and they didn't critique him. Now, you could say that through the editing and through the interviews, they allowed critique of him. Mm-hmm. But... If you don't see that many bodies and then offer some sort of critique, you're wasting my time. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I don't even need it to be 100% critique, but it's it was weird how little critique there was mm-hmm. for how many bodies there are. Yeah. It's like, what are you hiding Christianity today and Mike <laughs> Cosper? Or what are you trying to protect? Seriously. So yeah. do you want to know... What I think about Driscoll. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> here we are. Um, should I tell the story of when I got in an argument with Driscoll? Sure, that's kind of fun. Ah, that was kind of a joke. I don't really want to okay, tell Okay, then don't. Story. Okay, good. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did get in an argument with Driscoll. Um, <laughs> And I and I'll tell this story. How's that? We're in one of his books, I think. Um, you are. Well, not my name, but he says. Oh. People that were running a blackjack team came to me and asked me what I thought. I was about like it. street cred. <laughs> people who were running. I don't know. Is that why you put it in there? I don't know oh. why. Cool. And then he says, "I wouldn't have my kids do it or something." But that oh was like, it yeah, was yeah, yeah. Team. And it wasn't even you. It was your partner, yeah. right? That went to him. Because you didn't even really care to go to him. No, it was he, more your partner that partner, wanted to go. My partner. Ask the pastor. My partner's father-in-law said. Because oh. my yeah. partner wanted his father-in-law's approval to play yeah. blackjack. So the father-in-law goes, well, go talk to two or three pastors or Bible teachers. So my partner's like, yes, sir. Okay. So he goes and does that. Okay. Shit. That was off track. Okay. What do I think about Driscoll? Well, before I answer that, I want to talk about the stories that the podcast gets into. Okay, Mm -hmm. stories of just like crazy um, abuse, yelling. um, Coercing. Massive coercion. Uh, um, Taking away people's livelihood if they don't blank do this for him. Very blatantly, like cutthroat using people. And like just like one story, and I'm, I might be mashing stories together, but like people have dedicated their life like 15 years to work for the church. Then they say something critical about Driscoll that's not even directly critical about him. It's just saying like, oh, maybe he should um, think about getting some feedback from an older pastor. The next day they get called into the office, yelled at, Screamed fired. At offered no severance unless they um, sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, and they're like pregnant with kids. And then they never get spoken to again by anyone in the church. They get cut off from everyone emotionally, relationally, and financially. Like, okay, so crazy shit. 
Okay, and this is like so consistent that that's how this guy operates. Like hundreds of witnesses, basically thousands of witnesses if you take into account the video footage. Um, yeah. No even like debate. Like no one's defending the guy that knew him. And like he had such a large staff that like so many people knew the guy, mm-hmm. you know, or at least interacted with him. It's not like he's a private author sitting on an island. Mm-mm. Okay, so that's the type of personality here. Um, and then the podcast, like I said, they just leave it. They just leave it hanging. They don't mm-hmm. They don't say anything. Um, now, I think the easiest place to go with this guy is to say, very likely, he's a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to go there, and I'm not going to say that with any confidence. One, because I've been a, called a narcissist, mm-hmm. and I believe it was completely unfounded. And I say that because I actually got tested, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was concerned about myself. And from a clinical perspective, like I didn't even register. Mm-hmm. So I have a soft spot for people that are accused of being narcissistic. And by the way, like, because I don't like when people throw around that term, narcissism is on a spectrum and it's just attachment trauma is what it is. But people make it out to be this like, oh, you must be the next Hitler. <laughs> and even Hitler probably, not probably, had like major attachment trauma going on. Well, fuck, both can be true, right? I mean, sure. Yeah, but like I, with what Hitler, is I wouldn't say it's just attachment trauma. I'd say yeah, it's attachment trauma, but he also killed a bazillion people. But I'm saying that's what narcissism is—a form of attack, like where they don't have a sense of self because their yeah. attachment is so severed early, early on, or it's non-existent and never but develops. I think you're speaking to why narcissism exists. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess it just—I like saying that stuff because it it helped me have compassion for people instead of just calling them a name yeah anyways i know that's a segue so keep going um okay so but i think that would have been an interesting discussion yeah yeah totally like asking the question is he what does he look like i mean like i said they have so much evidence so many hundreds probably i would say hundreds of hours of interviews to go off of and they could ask a psychologist like what are the symptoms like this guy's a personality a public personality you know no one was afraid to do it with trump and i don't know if they're right about him or not but it was people went there for damn sure Mm -hmm. um okay now this is where i have more confidence though in what i think driscoll's problem was or at least why things went down the way they did driscoll was very violent Mm. so you know there's this quote that they talk about in the intro where he says if you build another church in seattle this is to a pastor that worked at mars hill for more than a decade i believe Mm. then he gets fired and driscoll says if you plant a church in seattle within two hours of here i will tear it down brick by brick (laughs) yeah and driscoll's attitude was very violent like the way he talked about god and satan he highlighted things the violent part of the god the christianity's god or whatever which is interesting because he's actually being really honest whereas a lot of pastors don't talk about you know the violent part of god but he loves talking about the violent part of god yeah and it was always this war and it was Mm -hmm. always like 
we're winning or we're losing. And it was in every way. It was like the Bible. That was how he interpreted the Bible. That's mm-hmm. how he interpreted. He's still spiritual... talking about that to this day. Yeah. Yeah. That's how he interpreted spiritual warfare. But it's also how he interpreted people's actions towards him. Mm-hmm. You're either for me or you're against me. Yeah. And that's why when you left Mars Hill, you're against him. And he would position himself to be very defensive. He was always paranoid. People talk about the interviews like he always thought people were like out to get him. And he had all these stories of how God gave him a dream that people are going to like come. And And it was this like it was always veiled in a way with like righteous anger. Like I I can hurt you because you're hurting God. And or you're hurt. I can hurt you because you're hurting me. And if you're hurting me, you're hurting God. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, there was, of course, extreme spiritual justification for all this. But so my belief system about why someone talks that way, lives that way, is because they have a high scarcity mindset. Hmm. They believe that there is a limited amount of love, a limited amount of victory, a limited amount of resources— Mm-hmm. a limited amount of success and if you get it it means i'm not getting it so it's like if the devil's winning god's not winning if you're being loved it means i must not be getting enough love mm-hmm. if you're getting church members it means i'm not getting church members mm-hmm. there's not this idea of abundance or enough and you can see it from hearing the stories of driscoll from early on mm-hmm. he was highly competitive highly fearful mm-hmm. highly paranoid Mm-hmm. Um, highly, and that's where, if, if, if you want to understand where violence comes from, in my opinion, a lot of times it comes from a belief that there's not enough. So I have and, to fight you because only one of us can win. We can't have two winners. Well, and isn't that like a core Christian or this version of Christianity belief is that only so many people can, uh, go to heaven yes. or whatever. For there to be winners or saved, there has to be losers or unsaved. Mm-hmm. And people love that passage in Romans 9 um, when they're talking about like specifically Calvinism and limited atonement and whatnot. But they say like, you know, there's this weird justification where it's like Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And it's like the, the logic that's used, this is like one of Paul's arguments of like, why do people have to go to hell? And, and the understanding is, well, some people have to burn so that the people in heaven know how good they have it. Mm-hmm. Look and what you've been saved from. And it's like weird. It's like a Bible passage, but it's like, it seems like it's such a um, scarcity mindset belief. And, and other scarcity mindsets, in my opinion, like capitalism is very scarcity based. Like, this mm-hmm. is why businesses are cutthroat. This is why they're com- everyone's seen as competitors, and there's fight for market share. Mm. And I don't think the church, like, the, the most scarcity mindsets I was ever trained in were from the church, church and business. Those are the two places that I heard it the most. Mm-hmm. And Driscoll, I think he just lived it to a T. I mm-hmm. think he was, like, he wasn't shy about it. And I think he went all in. And I think it was mm-hmm. natural for him because I think this leads to my third thing with him. You can tell there was trauma from his childhood about the way he saw the world and where his development came from. I always jump the gun, don't I? 
talking about narcissism attachment well, trauma yeah i don't know what specifically what kind they talked about his kind of like violent upbringing and maybe violence was done to him or he was bullied or something i forget exactly what but well there is like um i think a certain kind of wounding that happens when you don't get your needs met with your with your caregivers your parents um and you're not getting an the a secure attachment you are always feeling like you're that scarcity like i didn't get because you didn't get enough yeah right at at those tender ages which is like fine but then when you start to develop a theology that you teach and then you teach that this is what god says and then you teach this is what the bible says and then you get people copying you and then you have thousands of people parodying this shit and you think it's the Bible, but really it's just some guy's pain. Right. It's like, whoa. And it, the but, reason why this is important yeah. is like, I don't really give a shit about Driscoll. But I think there's a lot of pastors. Like I know the head, the biggest church in Cincinnati, the head pastor, he has a lot of trauma. He's talked about it. We've talked about it personally. He's talked about it from the pulpit. And it, you can tell how it informs the way he teaches, which is fine. Like this is every person in the world has trauma. But when you think that, when you don't know that that's trauma mm-hmm. and you think this is actually like the word of God or mm-hmm. this is like your unique idea, mm-hmm. you give someone like a larger than life voice mm-hmm. versus like, oh, like, of course you believe this because you were hurt. And like, mm-hmm. but there's ways to get, like, if you think that everyone's out to get you because you were abused as a little child, mm-hmm. it's like, that makes sense. But then when you start preaching into a microphone of thousands of people, watch out. Everyone is out to get you. Like, buy guns. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I mean, you have a position of power, right? Like, you're on a pedestal, like, literally up on a pedestal. Yeah. And everyone's listening to you. And everyone wants to do, like, what you tell them to do. Then I think it's our job as a society to ask these questions. Why is this person so... Um, hellbent on preaching this like what happened to them is Mm -hmm. is this really facts that are speaking or is this just your experience and there can be overlap but to me that helps me understand this guy it helps me take everyone a little bit less seriously because i assume we're all speaking out of our trauma i'm speaking out of mine that's for damn sure right like i have my experience and it informs why what i talk about and why i talk about it and the passion that i have well Um, i think and if you have that awareness about yourself, you don't take yourself as seriously. And I mean this in the best way possible. And then you don't expect other people to take you that yes. seriously. And that's the difference about Mark Driscoll. Everyone took him so seriously, which is why I think so many people were hurt. Mm. Because when the church finally imploded, and they do talk about this a little bit, people find themselves basically spiritually homeless. Like they're taught mm. this is their mother and father, spiritual mother and father, their spiritual authority figures. The church is their spiritual home. And they just like... Then they they're homeless. Come gone, yeah. <clears throat> and we were in Seattle when this happened. Yeah. There's this massive, like every counselor was full, like booked. Mm-hmm. Like the, the fallout, and it was just like spiritual homelessness in the entire city. It's like 15,000 people... <laughs> that had churches, <coughs> spiritual communities, and lives, are, mm-hmm. it's now all gone, and it feels like it was completely outside of their control, yeah. just like they were abandoned. Yeah. But it was because they gave so much power to this pastor. And here's my beef with this. If you don't understand that, 
then those people are, and this gets into the third point. Let's just go to the third point, which mm-hmm. is, okay, but sorry, about the second point, I want to say, they didn't mention this in the podcast at all. Like, they didn't go into these things, which don't seem like they're super fucking deep to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you can critically try and understand Driscoll and at least get some theories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a worthy endeavor. Well, and you probably know this, but like, they're not going to get into it because there's so many pastors that fund Christianity today that are doing the same exact thing. So it's like, how in the world are you going to, if you dismantle I know. him, you're dismantling I know. 1,500 other guys. But <laughs> shit, it's just embarrassing to me that you spend 20 hours mm-hmm. on this and you're not asking these fucking basic ass questions. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Number three my beef with this podcast was they don't address the systemic reason why this happened and why it's still happening and will happen it'll continue yeah until the systemic thing is addressed and healed from mm-hmm. to do this i feel like we need to get into our story mm-hmm. a little bit an abbreviated version for those that are interested, we have like a 10-part series if you want to hear all of it. It's long. Um, but basically, we were Christians, uh, very hardcore, living in a pretty fundamentalist community that we were basically leading. It was all unofficial. Um, this is like our life. Like We were not casual about Christianity. And long story short, we got put in what's called a spiritual discipline process where I was accused of being a narcissist. I was accused of being prideful. I was accused of all sorts of like kind of, it was weird. Like now I come to understand it was like vague terms where they weren't describing specific behaviors more. They were describing like abstract ideas like pride. Is it, you know, how do you measure that? You can't. So... We went. We started going to a therapist to get help because we were so um, racking our brains trying to rectify things with this community. Lost businesses, lost friends, um, and our. I'll never forget the moment that. So our counselor had basically interviewed these five families that had been hurt the most by us. And um, we were supposed to come back and hear his response about all these things that we did wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like gritting my teeth, buckling my seatbelt. I'm like, okay, strap your seatbelt on. Um, it's time to face the music. But I was also excited to hear what his opinion was because I wanted to change and I wanted out of this mess. And I was blaming myself. And I thought, if I hear what I did wrong and if this guy can tell me how I can fix it, finally we can get out of this mess. Mm-hmm. So he's read these uh, pages and pages and pages of interviews with these five families. And I'm ready for him to just blast me. And the first thing he says is, you've surrounded yourself with some pretty psychologically damaged people, haven't you? And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was, I remember being confused. (laughs) I was like, Like, what what does that have to do with what I did? Because I was ready to just be told, like, 
oh yeah, you're really dishonest, or you are really prideful, or you're an asshole. You don't consider other people, or Mm -hmm. you're really trying to make up for some childhood wound and manipulate and Mm -hmm. control people, all of which I actually believed about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But he said, you've surrounded yourself with some pretty psychologically damaged people haven't you and I was like what do you mean and then he proceeded to this is a guy who doesn't know anyone he didn't know us before the process he didn't know these five people so he didn't have like a dog in the fight and he's like been practicing counseling psychology for like 30 plus years and he says I've read what everyone said about you and he had a couple observations one is that no one's mentioning specific behaviors like basically it's all like they're pretty upset at you like there's a lot of hurt there's a lot of unmet expectations like shit like that and then he said these people are like basically looking to you to fill a void that is kind of a disaster waiting to happen like you're mm-hmm. never going to be able to fill it. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to clarify, we he was not saying and we were not concluding that we're off the hook in this whole thing because we participated. Well, and if we are surrounding ourselves with psychologically damaged people, then I could only conclude that we were also psychologically damaged if we were attracting those people. Yes, and we were feeding into these dynamics. Mm-hmm. And now I've come to understand, so I spent the next two years really trying to understand what this pattern looked like, why it was happening, Mm -hmm. what we were doing to contribute to it, and how we could apologize and extricate ourselves from it so that we didn't perpetuate it. Which we, like, pulled the plug from that, those, what, dynamics, like, almost right away. It was, like, done. But I want to give an example of what this looks like. And I'll use Driscoll's example, but I'll overlap it with ours. And this is fucking every church in America in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. People want concrete answers. Like, well, not everyone. Some people do. Like, infants do. They're like, is Batman good or bad? Mm -hmm. Is Joker good or bad? Mm -hmm. Um, And like, you know, we teach our three-year-old Batman's good, Joker's bad. Mm-hmm. Well, when they turn 15 or 16 or 20, you start to see like, oh, Batman's not like all good and Joker's not all bad and shit gets complicated. But when they're small and young, they want simple answers and you give them the simple answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, in a spiritual sense, it's no different. Like a lot of people, they want to be told like these activities are right. These activities are wrong. This is the right way to live. This is the wrong way to live. This and, person's evil. This person's not. And Driscoll did that man Mm -hmm. like that's he was so passionate and he he ended up um hurting so many people's feelings putting getting egg all over his face because he'd say the stupidest shit he was continually factually inaccurate about himself the world and others Mm -hmm. but he gave people the sense of certainty from his sheer confidence Mm -hmm. that people if they're like wondering like uh, what can I believe in? They hear this guy talk, and just from his passion, they're like, I can trust in this guy. 
Mm-hmm. Now, of course, a lot of people didn't trust Driscoll at all. They'd hear him and they'd like walk out and they'd be like, that guy has major issues. That guy has a problem. But if you look at the people that were drawn to him, mm-hmm. my guess is using our psychologists metric system, they're psychologically damaged people in a way. And I don't want to, it's not like there's two classes of mm-hmm. society, some that are psychologically damaged and some that are not. Well, they're trying to get a need met that maybe they never really got met fully as an infant or as a three-year-old of like, I need someone, I need to feel secure and I need someone to help me feel secure. Uh, and so Driscoll fulfilled that role for thousands of people and helped them feel this illusion of security that they probably there was like a need for that for them and that's the problem what you just said it's an illusion Mm -hmm. it makes people feel good it gives you a sense of security and with our community that we were in when we were leading it we realized we played into providing that for people Mm-hmm. because it feels good when you can give that. The problem is with us, we started to see after a while that it only lasted a certain amount of time. After six months, five years, it it always just kind of like started to go sour. And we could never figure out why. We thought like, oh, we're being too prideful or we're this or we're that. And I do think that we did have, you know, we did have immaturities and make mistakes and things. But what I started to see was when people look to you to get this sense of purpose and confidence. To fulfill a role you were never meant to fulfill, I think, too. Then, yes. Mm -hmm. It always had an expiration date. Yeah. Always. Even in the best case scenario. And then they would just go to, I guess, someone else after. But the problem I see, because so with a five-year-old, you know, there's like, I think it's appropriate, right? Like they can, and then their parents can give them that. But a 25-year-old or a 45-year-old, it, it gets to a point where you actually have to do that for yourself. And not to say that you can't have like resources, but like if you can't do it for your, if you can't figure out a way to like, I guess it's healing, you know, from stuff and from your need for security or whatever then you're just going to shop around and go from person to person to person to person healing or growing which maybe are the same but in one sense the problem i have with the spiritual evangelical church today that has this type of model which is a lot of them Mm -hmm. they actively promote that type of power dynamic it's like a parent-child yes. relationship. Yeah. They, the, and they don't say it explicitly, but the mm-hmm. way that they're set up and the way Driscoll operated, Driscoll operated, his language and stuff was very much, I have the answer and the authority, and you need to get that shit from me. And if you don't listen to me, I'm going to squash you. Yeah, and well, not only that, although he did go that way too, but if you don't listen to me, you're rebelling against God. Right. And you aren't obeying God. Because there was this like, God, pastor, uh, patronage type, like, hierarchy. Yes. Yeah. So it keeps people from growth that causes them to be able to move on from a dynamic like that. And 
I don't know if we would have moved on except for like we found this psychologist and we had hurt so many people from participating in this dynamic. And we had this in our own ways. We were like people would come to us for the answers, which seems fairly innocent. But then we and it would, feels good. But, it's like, yes, oh, I have an answer. It for makes you. me feel important. Right. So then we'd give them an answer mm-hmm. and then they would do it. And, and then sometimes it would go right and we'd be heroes and sometimes it would go wrong. And then they'd be like, you're a villain. Or inevitably, if you put someone on a pedestal, i.e. parental figure role, they're going to disappoint you eventually. Yes. Any hero will. Right. So the thing that's so frustrating to me is you have 15,000 people that are like hurt in this aftermath. And to me, it's pretty obvious, at least one of the main reasons and dynamics why. But they never talk about this in the podcast. They never say, when when you go to a pastor and you hand over spiritual authority to your life, to an institution, to determine your moral um, decision-making process, mm-hmm. that... There is a very high likelihood this will happen. Mm-hmm. And when it happens, and this is where it gets so frustrating because once again, towards the end, they're trying to spin the positives. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know what their positives are? When Mars Hill blew up, nine church plants came of it, like survived. From Mars Hill? Yes. Oh, but just became their own whatever thing? Yeah. Okay. So they're like, see? This is the mystery of God working in broken places. But what's frustrating about that is if these people haven't adequately found healing Mm -hmm. or identified this pattern, Mm -hmm. I can guarantee it. If they're the type of person that was getting, quote unquote, fed at Mars Hill, Mm -hmm. they're still needing the tit. Yeah. They're going to. So they're going to use because it's not just Mark Driscoll was an ass. Okay, let's agree to that. But how do 15,000 people... He fulfilled a role. Yes, and this is what they concluded about Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. Like, Hitler was a powerful dude, but also the environment was right for that type of dude. People wanted to be told what to do. People were hurting. They wanted an answer for why they're hurting. And... And I'll never forget, I had this conversation in a Starbucks in Seattle, uh, like 15 years ago or so when I met with this guy and he said, uh, or I just met him at Starbucks, but he said, um, I was like, what do you do? And he says, oh, I go around and help uh, churches after the pastor has been like found out to be in a sexual fucking whatever, <laughs> you know? Right. And I was like, well, that's an oddly, Less than pure. oddly specific <laughs> job description. And I said, well, that must be hard working with all these people that feel betrayed because we had just gone through something. Um, with a pastor at our church where he had been found to be having an emotional affair with the secretary and everyone was like, so he left and everyone was like, what the fuck? Like, who is this guy? And and I said, yeah, that must be hard dealing with a congregation that feels betrayed. And he goes, well, it's not just um, that the congregation feels betrayed. He goes, I have to go to the congregation and help them to get healing because if they don't come to understand why they were able to follow and basically look up to a man 
who is having a sexual affair for one to five to ten years, if they don't understand what it is about them that's looking for that type of relationship, mm-hmm. they will probably replace him with someone who does the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see it's not just a supply problem. It's a demand problem. Mm. There's the people. There's It's a relationship Which dynamic. You, you can see that even... <clears throat> with like Driscoll being able to go to another church and now he has all these other people. It's like, yeah, it's weird. He loses his congregation, so he goes and finds another. They lose their pastors, and I'm sure most of them went on to find another. It might be a different brand, a guy that's not quite, that doesn't yell as much, a, a guy that doesn't, you know, have as much of a scarcity mindset. But the pattern, mm-hmm. the relationship roles that's where we can learn so much and mm-hmm. there's so much opportunity for growth there if we don't just blame driscoll mm-hmm. um, or mars hill but this is what i feel like it means to truly take responsibility and learn from these types of things mm-hmm. and they don't do it in this pot oh it's so frustrating to me because i'm like here you have one of the greatest examples of our day and mm-hmm. age <laughs> and the publication that has the most money the well, the people reach. that can do it are people that are listening to it and they're outside of Christianity. And not not to say everyone can do that outside of Christianity because everyone's got stuff. But like that, I feel like you're. it's going to be hard to find someone who's like neck deep in this yeah. type of Christianity that would be able to, you know, think this critically about it. Yeah, well, but yeah, I feel like it's um, irresponsible, and I, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It's like when the automobiles make the vehicles that like kill people, mm-hmm. like negligent that, or, or complicit in yeah, perpetuating complicit. this yes. like dynamic. So it's like. And, and this podcast has got some critiques I've read of people saying that it's it's too much inside the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree. Um, I just think that yeah. it becomes so obvious when you are a journalist. Like even a, a completely secular, uneducated journalist, I feel like, if you're just trying to look at facts mm-hmm. and you're just asking basic questions, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Like, how does shit like this go down where mm-hmm. 15,000 people are hurt by one man mm-hmm. who never touched them? Mm-hmm. What psychologically is going on for that to happen? Mm-hmm. How do you give a man that much power? Mm-hmm. And why do you give a man that much power? And what makes you think that just because that man disappears, those people are not going to be looking for another man to give their power over to? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a supply and demand system. It's like capitalism. And I, I think it needs to be dismantled. Like, and everyone's like, there's a bunch of mistakes we could make in this. We could villainize Driscoll. Or we could call those people a bunch of idiots. If Driscoll went away tomorrow, as in like, if he like died or something, the problem would not go away. The problem is still there. Yeah. And so anyways, man, I'm spent. That's, I blew my load. Yeah. I feel like that's what I wanted to say about the podcast. And um, 
I really want people to consider these things, whether they're inside the church or outside the church. Because you can leave the church, by the way, and still be stuck in these dynamics. You can look for that role in an author or in a mentor or in a CEO. A lot of people do that with Steve Jobs. Or in politics. Yeah. Or in a world leader. And then guess what? The person, there's a sex scandal or he's cheating or fucking this or that. And you're super disappointed and you're crushed and you feel leaderless and you feel abandoned. Like these feelings, if we don't understand how we're complicit in putting people up on pedestals and then wanting to tear them down, it's like this crazy addiction. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got to end this. My brain is melting. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to promote these... um, these new merch products I have here. Yeah. Um, if you're looking on the video on YouTube, you can see these, but if not, you'll have to hear what they look like. We got this compliance kills hat, which I um, am pretty fond of with little skull and crossbones. These are trucker hats and we have red, white, and blue hike your on high cat, um, which is a phrase that was very common on the Appalachian trail. That's a major theme in my book, 2000 miles together. Um, both these hats are $20 on our merch store. The link is in the description. Um, my book is available. Books are available in our merch store or on Amazon, 2,000 Miles Together, the story of the largest family to hike the Appalachian Trail, and Unleash Your Family. And Cammy's album is also available um, to buy on iTunes, Amazon, or listen to on Spotify or any of those places. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are interested in coaching, um, one-on-one coaching with me, uh, to cover any topic that you want, whether it's life or maybe you're working through some of these spiritual issues or you want to plan a family hike or write a book, um, I love doing that type of thing. And I have some slots available still, Mm -hmm. um, that's in our patreon you can find it that way oh you know what i never did Hmm. i didn't do our intro oh how does that work are you able to like put it back in there no i'll just do it right now okay you're listening to the fight for together podcast